Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where you find the two of us as normal, about to bring you some details around three topics of the hour and of the week in the world of hotels uh, investment and real estate. And my name is Chris Bowne, I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And if you'd like to read more detail about what we're talking about this week, then do go along to hotelanalyst.co.uk and sign up for a subscription to find out more. Now, the first topic this week is looking at uh, three companies that are about to float on the U- US stock market. Um, those are Zonda, the apartment rental company, um, Soho House, the members club, and Inspirato, another members club, although of a slightly different type, uh, selling luxury, high-end experiences and uh, hotel and accommodation. Um, All listing in the US where it seems the market's very frothy. Uh, You can also choose, of course, this SPAC route, uh, reversing yourself into a special purpose acquisition company, which avoids some of the uh, pesky due diligence, which you might have to go through if you're otherwise uh, listing with a full IPO. Uh, Inspirato and Sonda are both choosing that route, although Soho House uh, is actually going for the full uh, IPO, which will expose them to that rather larger amount of administrative work before they get to the market. Um, all going to be pulling in funds for growth. Uh, there seems to be no end of funds available in the US uh, markets for uh, supporting companies such as these. Um, and I guess poised quite well to uh, pick up on some of the other emerging trends in the current uh, market, including that of the subscription model. I'm quite taken with the subscription model. I think it's a very interesting approach. There's a business professor, professor, um, sometime entrepreneur as well, uh, called Scott Galloway. He teaches at NYU Stern School of Business, and he talks about rundles, which are recurring revenue bundles. Now, Mr. Galloway's rather, or Professor Galloway, is um, more focused in the tech sector, Um but and and certainly rundles are all the rage in in tech i mean you you think of uh so apple have launched their one collection where you get their cloud storage their music and their tv and their games and their fitness and all that stuff you think of netflix which is a rundle as well um software giants microsoft and adobe they're all rundled probably the the big daddy of of rundles is amazon with its prime membership um all very powerful in the tech sector um i think we could see some of that being emulated in hospitality too um maybe get some inspiration from inspirato chris um but yes um um, but uh, I, obviously, we've, we've already written about this a few months ago when uh, Citizen M announced their their subscription play. But I, I think we could see a bit more of this. I, I'm I think that the problem with it, how you pitch it, because it's a quite a, it's a lumpy purchase uh, staying in a hotel. So it, it's not like you're just dropping twenty or thirty pounds dollars or euros. Um, a month um if 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 you're going to be a regular stayer you're going to have to spend quite a lot more and if you're 
the equation about that i think is too high risk so i suspect it will be some sort of discounty scheme or or something along those lines but if you can actually turn a loyalty scheme into something which people are paying for i think it becomes very compelling and you know credit cards can do it and i think hotels can do it too and if you say i don't know say let's shell out 50 pounds a month um and with that you get the ability to redeem depending on what sort of quality your brand is but anything from a, a couple of nights to say a week um over the course of the year and on top of that extra nights you get a um a special discount um i think that could be quite a compelling proposition for customers i think there would have to be some giveaway on the part of the hoteliers for that but if they get people to buy into the brand long term this is a fabulous brand building opportunity and for the bigger brands in particular this could be a could be very compelling indeed and i think it's it, it's it's quite exciting um and i think we're going to hear a lot more about this type of business model well i thought it was quite interesting that inspirato's uh, subscriptions are quite quite chunky you know as you say hundreds hundreds of thousands of dollars per month and so therefore require quite a uh, a commitment from from subscribers and then the other end of the scale you've got people like TripAdvisor testing out uh, a subscription model which they they see selling just to somebody who might be booking three nights on a on online for a for a stay away and and the price point mm. there is such that they believe that they can sell a subscription because you're going to get your money back out of your first sort of long weekend stay so quite a different level altogether yeah the TripAdvisor one i think is probably where the the big growth potential lies with this um at the end if you're at that very luxury end of the market how why would you necessarily want to do that unless you're offering something exclusively um mm. which is where i think soho house comes in because right. you've got that exclusive membership piece um and therefore you, you know it's a bit like having um you know what are the fancy credit cards like a black um, american express oh, is that platinum. fancy or, uh, platinum, yes. whichever, which I, I don't even have an American Express, alone, <laughs> especially coloured one. Um, but um, stick with Visa or Mastercard. Um, but uh, in terms of you know, in that luxury sector, I think if you can introduce that element of exclusivity, only available if you uh, uh, sign up to the club, as it were, I think that could be very powerful. I think this is where Soho House offers that. And um, I remember reading some consumer responses to Soho House saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm it lifts my spirits just turning up to you know to feel part of the part of the club mm. and it, it makes you feel a bit special and which is the you know at the end of the day which is what luxury has to be about is that intangible element of specialness yeah. um which is where you the, the value creation piece is so i think that's a great bit and the other at the other end of the scale is this cheaper sort of more trip advisory like uh, bits where you pay that 50 pounds or whatever a month and 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 get access to some better better deal so i think i think there's several ways into this and uh, I, th I think we're going to see uh, a lot more of it i think at the luxury end of the market it's very interesting because it's, it's all about delivering value rather than looking at the price and uh, one of the things that struck me about uh, researching inspirato was the way in which they um they say they've got arrangements with certain luxury hotel brands who publicly deny that they've got relationships with Inspirato <laughs> um, because the last thing they want to be seen is offering discounted rooms uh, in their quiet periods Correct. at a Correct. discount. Um, if yeah. you can hide them within a subscription model, 
then no one knows what you're actually paying for that Wednesday night in November at the this Luxury is- Hotel which is interesting a lot of things we're going to talk about this in a uh, later on in this podcast but there's a few things pushing against the vertical disintegration of the industry so this stripping out of all the bits and i think vertically integrated there's there's there are options if you are vertically integrated if you own the bricks the operations and the brand i think you you've you have many more options and this is a particular area so it was no surprise to me to see citizen m being in the forefront um apart from the fact that they are pioneers in many things um also their vertical integration enables them to do this i think zoku it's worth mentioning as well one of their um countrymen from the netherlands um have also looked at the subscription model mm-hmm. now next we're going to talk about uh, where are the opportunities as we come out of the pandemic uh, as consumer habits change and uh, we've been taking a look at uh, some work research work that accenture has done across europe and also touching base with uh, our friends at bva bdrc who are also very close to consumer opinions and uh, being carefully gauging how things have moved through the pandemic as regards consumer attitudes to various things now accenture uh, have, have polled uh, almost 10,000 people across 19 countries but they're coming up with some thoughts on how business travel might change short medium long term how um, people have been working at home enforced working at home has perhaps changed their attitudes towards working in the office and indeed towards continuing to work at home it seems like quite a lot of people would like a new third space that's not their spare bedroom or their dining room table uh, but they do want an alternative to hiking into the uh, the office for for the traditional working day uh, so some interesting changes in attitudes some things that people are saying which may or may not feed through into into long-term change in their behavior um but uh, I spoke with uh, Miguel Flecher from uh, Accenture and he, he is convinced there are some big opportunities here for the hotel sector to grab some of this, uh, these, these changing behaviours and perhaps point people towards uh, using hotels uh, for the new way they want to run their lives. I think there's undoubtedly going to be some great opportunities coming out of this. Um, I am instinctively sceptical, however, of surveys. Uh, it's <laughs> that that, biz- that business cliche. I mean, you know, if Henry Ford had asked customers what they wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. Um, and, you know, you would not have got the... If it had been built on survey data, we, we, we would never have got the motor car. And, and I think this is, you know, you need those entrepreneurs to take the risk and actually put it out there first um and this is you know this is where we're at at the moment as we come into this new period i think um people have got to try things and take risks and give it a go um so I am sceptical, but I'm, I'm also, um, as we have repeatedly said, uh, we are sceptical about this narrative that business travel has changed forever. Um, now, the biggest proponent of that is Brian Chesky at Airbnb. Um, it suits his, his position, I think, to say that anyway, um, given his limited exposure to the business travel market. Um, but you're also seeing people, I think, who, well, you, you expect them to be in favour of business travel. So the, the Global Business Travel Association, for example, <laughs> they're saying it's not going to come back to 2019 levels until 2025. That's a long while. Um, 
I think that's too pessimistic. And we've given the reasons for this in the past. Um, corporate balance sheets are, are actually stronger on average. I mean, certainly not in our sector on the whole, but you know, across industries, corporate balance sheets are stronger than they were at the start of the pandemic. Now, um, we're going to have growth like we haven't seen before. So um, I mentioned in my, my comments to your article, Chris, um, the Goldman Sachs um, upgrade of their economic forecasts. They put out a note on on Sunday, and they're now saying the UK economy is going to grow 7.8% this year. Um, we've ne- when you know when have you laughed? That's Chinese mm. levels of growth. I mean, even China would be pleased with that these days. I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, okay, it's coming back after you know after a very steep um, decline, but nonetheless, I think there is the the once you get rolling with that kind of growth there is a sort of momentum that builds in there i mean the, the goldman sachs are saying the us at 7.2 percent now they are at the upper end of of forecasts the average is around five percent but everybody's upgrading at the moment um particularly the uk and the us less so um um continental europe eurozone because of the the, the delays with vaccines etc but but that will come there too um and people are seeing certainly for for early next year to see that th- these sort of bounces kicking in um there for them um so i think and hopefully by the tail end of this year too um so i think the economically we've got this fabulously strong position we've got corporates that have money to spend why are they going to be so hesitant about spending it this idea that they're not going to be going out to uh uh travel anymore because video conferencing is there well you know we've had the phone it didn't stop business travel we had the fax didn't stop business travel you know we we had teleconferencing back in the 80s i think that was a (laughs) possibility then and has advanced steadily since and that hasn't stopped business travel and now some types of business travel will switch i think that's right um but there are going to be other opportunities that emerge um which is going to promote that and uh, it's really hard to see companies sitting on their hands um and and say Saying, look, no um, salespeople, you can't go out into the market. Uh, you know, we, we've got to be careful about our carbon footprint, um, which is the other big thing which is people have put forward. As I, I think they'll look to reduce their carbon footprints elsewhere. Frankly, if if there's a serious risk of missing out on on sales opportunities, which there will be, and I think already are, um, if you know if they're not thinking about getting back on the road. So I, I am much more bullish about about the. Uh, the out you know the the likely return of of business travel and um i am in the same seat as uh michael o'leary of ryanair oh. um i don't really like his seats very often but it's um but he he too is saying look we're going to cut providing we don't have you know new variants um which shut us all down again or other nonsense like that we're going to see a rebound um in business travel um next year he says he's predicting that corporate travel will be at pre-covid levels um at some point in 2022 so he's he's much more bullish i mean other airline execs i think star alliance i reckon they're going to be down a third virgin atlantic is saying they're down a fifth so there's a lot more skepticism across the piece um uh, amongst airlines but there are some bulls out there and 
um, a big bull is the big the CEO of the biggest airline in Europe so that gives me some reassurance I think that uh, I'm not alone in having this this optimism about business travel now it is a contrarian position there's no question about that most people are expecting it to be much tougher and I think you um, was it uh, in in this piece you you were looking at uh, no it's another piece you're looking at CBRE um, where they were forecasting things not coming mm. back until uh, 2024 yeah. I think um, and uh, you know so uh, yeah yeah I mean it's uh, it, it's tricky and it, it, it's not an easy easy situation um, at the moment to to, to make forecasts um, you could wheel out that cliche quote from Yogi Berra about uh, you know predicting uh, you know forecasting is tough especially about the future <laughs> and you know and we, we are in that you know in that situation right now but it is getting this right is what's going to make the fortunes of people if you get it spectacularly wrong you know you're going to have big problems um and you and it's going to be as big a problem if you miss out on the opportunity as it is if you're overly optimistic and you fall on your face um and i think i think um execs need to start thinking ab about that and about this fear of missing out i think is going to grow as it becomes clearer that this is going to be a very strong recovery and what are the characteristics of the accommodation marketplace over the last year through the pandemic has been that uh, private rental accommodation and uh, self-contained accommodation has done a lot better uh, or performed less badly should we say than uh, traditional hotels um, and so the relative outperformance uh, has led to uh, the the leading platforms in this part of the accommodation space looking to beef up their offers uh, and we've currently got uh, Verbo the Expedia brand uh, almost going head oh it's awful isn't it Verbo. <laughs> i mean why why didn't they stick with you know they should have taken home away it's just such a better brand i mean honestly verbo goodness anyway, anyway sorry, hobbled with that they're fighting toe-to-toe -to -toe with airbnb looking for more hosts to give them more properties to list and verbo uh, is putting out quite a few incentives to encourage people to uh, come on board and list with them meanwhile uh, airbnb's uh, a brilliant CEO Brian Chesky is demanding that he he needs many more hosts as well uh, I don't think he's going to be quite so generous because he reckons Airbnb's a superior platform for private hosts uh, but as I say they're both quite keen to get more listings on their platforms and we got some figures in this week from a uh, a consultancy called Transparent who tracks um, vacation rentals home rentals and uh, they reckon that there's been quite a, a, a broadening of a price premium uh, for rental accommodation versus hotels over the last uh, few months uh, will that last uh, we will have to see yes you, I, I notice you quote Chesky uh, um, and he says one of the big trends we are seeing is the decline of business travel I mean he just won't get off that one will he um, he's, he's determined to, to talk me it down yeah. um, <laughs> yes um, we will see uh, <laughs> I mean you, you can't ignore him Airbnb is the biggest dedicated travel company in the world market cap 106 billion as of last night um, 
recording this on tuesday um bookings at 99 billion uh marriott at 48 billion so you know more than twice the size of the biggest hotel company bigger than the previous uh booking giants booking um so you can't ignore his views um on that uh, this doesn't mean i can't say he's wrong and i do think he's wrong <laughs> but um I, I, on the overall position of airbnb however there's the fight that's going to be ahead now is i think amongst the platforms and this is quite probably going to be good news for hoteliers if you look at the history of these platforms so you had expedia coming in making hay in the wake of uh 9-11 and the distress that was out there in the market and the recession that that came with that um on the merchant model where they took inventory and they sold it on a sale or return basis at fabulous margins uh, booking came in on an agency model um, took the margins down from 30 40 percent in some cases down to 20 percent um, and looked much more attractive and 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 uh, friendlier to uh, hoteliers and now we're seeing uh, airbnb coming in and coming in really around the 12 percent mark or so um with their uh commission charges and that they're offering a platform that the 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 head-to-head that's coming now is between booking and its performance marketing where it shells out billions to uh, google um and airbnb where it says look we've got such a great brand people come directly to us and there's a there's a good point there because booking is still a very weak brand um it's not well understood um or not as well understood um as airbnb and people if airbnb can make that careful maneuver and start becoming a platform from for hotels uh, i think it could get very interesting indeed and we'll have three uh in the west we'll have three otas you know duking it out trying to trying to get market share and that's going to be good news for hoteliers and uh, um, you know it's still going to be you'll still have to count your fingers and toes after the negotiations with a with an OTA but I think the swingometer of power is definitely over to the side of hoteliers at the moment Our weekly five star and no star awards um, and five stars this week we are giving to Whitbread who um, used Earth Day, as several other companies used Earth Day to make announcements. But uh, their announcement, they're bringing forward their net zero carbon target date by a decade. They're going to achieve net zero in 2040 is something very much to be welcomed. Um, uh, Not that long ago, they've been working on this for a long time and they know it's a series of little steps. You just have to keep keep on with um and and never never relax from and they're doing it um so yeah yeah and i think what we mentioned about vertical integration and i think being vertically integrated in the case of whitbread has helped do this um and has helped them um you know take this issue seriously and i think they're going to be in a very good place as a result of that and no stars go to the australians who once again are arguing between themselves about their hotel quarantine system uh the whole business of dealing with covid all around the world has been the adoption of a series of imperfect solutions to try and keep this thing in check or deal with the consequences of not keeping it in check and uh, the australians have frankly done quite well in keeping covid largely out of their nation by using hotel quarantine as a kind of major system for 
holding up the the progression of the virus into their country. Um, it's not been perfect. They've had big issues with it over the last few months, but it's all kicking off again in Australia. Frankly, I think they should just calm themselves down and admit that they're doing the best job they can. Yes, it's Perth, wasn't it? They just had a lockdown. I think. I think the the, the problem is that it, it, it's what's fascinating with with the this the pandemic is how some countries were initially seen to be doing really well, others were doing really badly. Um, so the UK is a good example of this. Terribly at first, then this super uh, response through the vaccine came back, and now we seem to be <laughs> I don't know quite what we're doing in terms of the advantage we should have gained from the vaccine. We're squandering it somewhat, I think. Um, but and and equally now we've had countries which have been very good at sealing themselves up um the you know the, the standouts being places like south korea new zealand um taiwan australia um but how do they deal with the reopening because the virus is now you know unless they're going to keep sealed away in in you know um maybe possible for the new zealanders i guess <laughs> it's so far away from anywhere but um you know un unless you're going to open up it's it's rather pyrrhic victory yeah, unless yes. you're gonna yeah yeah well, well it yeah. is quite and you know and and well you know you wouldn't say that about the people who've been kept alive but it it, it it's you know the, the, there is a real danger now how do they actually get out of this unlock now i think you know if they can get the vaccine in everybody's arm um obviously that is the what you know and that, and that will ensure that they can open up they will have the spread of the virus but uh, they won't have anywhere near the horrible levels of deaths and distress um that many many other countries you know prominently now of course india um uh, we're seeing um but obviously here in europe we've seen um, equally devastating um had an equally devastating experience so um th with vaccine that means you know New Zealand and Australia shouldn't have to go through quite that level of pain but they do need to to rev up their vaccination program which I think is somewhat behind um, the, the US the UK and uh, even Europe I think actually it's not not much better and on that note we'll say goodbye for now